There was a little boy who was 10 years old who walked into his pastor's study one day and he had a request. He told his pastor that he'd like to be baptized and the pastor asked him why did he want to be baptized? He said, well, we've been studying about Jesus' baptism in Sunday school and the teacher asked if uh, any of us had been baptized, if we'd been baptized to hold up our hands and everybody in the class held up their hands but me. And so the pastor said, now, do you want to be baptized just because everybody else has been baptized? And he said, no, I want to be baptized because it shows I belong to God. And the little, well, the pastor was kind of uh, just impressed at his uh, understanding of what baptism was all about. And uh, so the pastor said, well, okay, how about next Sunday? And the little boy began to beam. And then all of a sudden his face took on a more concerned look. And he said, do I have to be baptized in the church in front of all those people? Couldn't Couldn't a friend do it in the river? And the pastor asked him, what in the world gave you that idea? And he said, well, Jesus was baptized by his cousin John in the river. And again, the pastor was uh, surprised at the little boy's understanding and said, well, you know, you have a point there. And then the pastor said, but if you get baptized in a river by a friend, how is the church going to uh, know that this has happened? How's the church going to recognize that this has taken place? And the pastor thought that this was going to be a good teaching moment, and she reached for her book of worship and was going to sit down with the boy. But before she could touch her book of worship, the little boy said, by my new way of life, by my new way of life. That's how we're supposed to be known as Christians, by our new way of life. We're supposed to be different from the world, and the passage that we read this morning shows that there's a difference. First of all, we see the works of the flesh, or the deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And then Paul adds, and things like this. It's not limited to just those things. There are a lot of people that want to uh, kind of put limits on things. Kind of like W.C. Fields was caught looking through the Bible one day and He wasn't considered a real religious person. And so I said, W.C., what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for loopholes. (laughs) Well, but see, if you limit it to these things that are listed, then there's a lot of stuff. But Paul, he's almost like an attorney here. He puts a catch-all thing on the end there and things like these. And then he says something very disturbing, or it should be disturbing, because he goes on and he says, Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means you're not going to go to heaven if you practice these things in this list and things like those. But then he gives another list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I want to pause here and just let you know, I have served some churches where if you just took the middle of the deeds of the flesh, just think, you probably, maybe you've known some churches like this. Listen to, the, just listen to what's in the middle here. Um, find out where my place is. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy. That describes several churches that I have served. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's, well, they were just famous for all those things, you know? My goodness, I remember one church I served. The first people I would hear in church on Sunday morning, whenever I would be there early, would be my organist and her mama walking up the uh, sidewalk cussing at each other. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how sometimes church folk don't get it. They can be church folk and not the Lord's folks. And because of that, you can wind up and let's just face it. If you look at our general conference that just ended in the United Methodist Church, the factions, the dissensions, and all of it was about some of the earlier works of the flesh. And about how, well, anyway, I'm not going to go into all the details on that stuff, but it's just, uh, that's what's manifesting itself in our own denomination. And, uh, it's just kind of a, a sad thing to watch. But I was, and I, I've got to come back on this because you see, there are two sides in this issue. And one side is, uh, trying to make the other side be like them. And uh, one side is trying to say that these works of the flesh, we need to say that those are okay. Even though Paul says they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, uh, they're saying we need to just all practice this stuff ourselves, you know? And so uh, anyway, you've got that going on on one side, but then... You've got another side that's trying to keep us in godliness and keep us faithful. And if you just look at a battle in a church sometime, it looks like both sides are wrong and they both need to get it right and quit living in this battle. But let's face it, there's one side that is pushing for ungodliness. And what do you do if you're the Lord's? And people are trying to make you condone ungodliness. If you are faithful, you must stand and resist. And this is what's going on. And so it's not that both sides are bad. Both sides think that they are right. And I don't want to get into this any deeper than it already is. But you see, one side is coming out of the works of the flesh and trying to embrace the works of the flesh and get the church 
to embrace the works of the flesh, while the other side is trying to keep us in faithfulness to God. We need to pray for our denomination that somehow this will be worked through in the next couple of years. But anyway, that being the case, these are the, the you're supposed to be, as, as a Christian, uh, Paul is saying that there should be a change in a Christian's life. The church should not reflect the world. Individuals should not reflect worldliness. We are being called out of something. And Paul says here, we're being set free from something. We're being set free and then we're called at the beginning and the end. The phrase here is to walk by the Spirit. A better translation would be to follow the Spirit. And I think that this is so important because some people, in the, well, many, many people in churches today have no idea that there even is a Holy Spirit. And yet, He is the one we are supposed to be following. Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16, whenever He was promising the Holy Spirit, he said, it's expedient that I go away so I can send the helper to you. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and the, the, my father will love you and I will love you and we will come and we will make our abode with you. And he's promising that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us, very present in our lives. And that we are to, it's, and the thing is, we're to follow him, just like the disciples followed Jesus. You know, there's so many people think, oh, if I could just live back in Jesus' day, it'd been so much easier to be a Christian. He was trying to tell us it should be easier today. Because you, he said that the Holy Spirit, he will take of mine and he will share it with you. And so we have the presence of the Lord with us as those who have given ourselves to him. And so it should be much easier to be a Christian. It should be much easier to follow him today than it was back then, because he is with us. He is our guide. He is to guide us into all truth. He is to be with us, not on Sunday morning, not whenever you just get a good feeling, whenever a good song is sung or whatever, but he's supposed to be with you all the time. And let's face it, a lot of people, to them, the Holy Spirit is a feeling. It's that feeling, and let me say, there's a good feeling coming together in a church. There's a good feeling whenever you come together with people who share your faith. And uh, whenever you remember and you've been told again that God loves you and he cares for you. And then whenever you get to, I can remember so many times I get to that point, take Holy Communion and just feel washed and cleansed and go back out. And we would head home in the car and my little sister would be on one side of the back seat. I'd be on the other and she'd stick her hand over on my side of the seat. 
And the Holy Spirit, if that's what it was, and it wasn't, you know, that feeling would go out the window because she touched my side, you know. It's all out the window. Now, you see, that's not the Holy Spirit. That feeling was a good feeling. But many people equate that feeling with the Holy Spirit. Yes, it can be that you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, but he goes with you into the world and he goes with you through tough times. He guides you. He directs you. Now then, um, I want to, he says, follow the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. He says, if we live by the Spirit, and remember, we have been, if we've given ourselves to God and received what he did for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and invite him to come into our lives, God does send his Holy Spirit to us if we open our lives to him, and he comes in and he makes his dwelling with us. And so he is with us in this very special way. And whenever that happens, things happen. I want you to notice, oh wait, before we go any further though, I want to back up and share something that I've been noticing. Last week we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about three different aspects of it. The aspect of presence, of listening, and helping. And I want to tell you, this congregation is one of the best at ministering in those ways. I have seen you as individuals doing those three things over and over again. And it just touches my heart. And I am just honored to be serving you as a congregation because this is a congregation that is filled with people who are ministering in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and mirroring what Jesus does in our lives. And another thing, whenever uh, you read through the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, this congregation, you're not one of those I was talking about that the works of the flesh are what are prominent. Instead, it's the love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are evident in this congregation in ways that you don't see in a lot of larger congregations. And I just want you to know that I am honored to be serving you. I just want you to know that before I go any further. Now, the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of people, they get hung up on this and they think, well, i got to Quit working on the deeds of the flesh. I need to start working on the fruit of the Spirit. And then they start trying to determine which one they need to cultivate. And they talk about the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. But let me tell you, there's only one fruit of the Holy Spirit. Only one. Patience isn't a fruit. It is an attribute of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just like an apple is crunchy and tart and red and sweet and juicy. You see, those all describe one fruit. They describe an apple. 
the fruit of the Spirit manifests these things in your life. Now, they can be divided into three different categories. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The first three have to do with our relationship with God. The next three have to do with our relationship with other people. And the last three uh, have to do with just our character in general. Have you ever noticed that? Love, joy, and peace. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes to us, what does he do? He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. And because we know that we are loved for just being us and that we have peace with God, there's joy. There's a love that we cannot understand. There is a joy unspeakable. And there is a peace that's not anything like the peace that the world can give. Those are the first things. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings those things with him. Love, joy, and peace. And whenever those things really hit you, the rest of it becomes easy. If in his presence you know his love and you realize that you don't have to prove anything to anybody that God loves the you that he created, not who you wish you were, not who somebody else has been trying to tell you you ought to be or should be. It's you that is loved by him. No tweaking, no changing allowed. It's you. Whenever you realize that you are acceptable in the beloved and that you have his love just filling your life, then all of a sudden, people pleasing goes out the window. You're not trying to draw your uh, sense of worth from other people. Instead, you have worth to share with other people. You see, Christians come from a totally different perspective. They help and do all these things because it's overflowing, not because they're trying to get approval, but because they have been made worthy, even whenever they were still in their sin. You ever thought about that? When you are at your worst, that's when Jesus did his best, because that's when he died for you. His love for us just overflows and all the rest of the stuff just comes out of it. And whenever your patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, not one fruit. I mean, there's just, there's not, it's not a bunch of fruit and you don't have to say, okay, I'm, if you're, if you're having trouble with being patient, then that means you need to work on your relationship with the Lord. Do you see that? It's not, you don't work on patience. That's kind of, you can't, you can't work on it and get it. It's a supernatural manifestation uh, in your life that comes as you get things right with God. Because, well, anyway, I, I, I don't have time to go into all the ramifications of that. So I'm just going to leave it at that this morning. That uh, in all of these things, that they will come forth. Now, the next thing is, it's not our fruit. It's not our fruit. It's his fruit. And his fruit comes forth in us. 
as we yield ourselves to him. That being said, I just want to encourage you to follow the Spirit. He is with you. He wants to help you. He wants to free you from things that are holding you back, things that are pushing you down. In fact, remember he said that Jesus Jesus said that he's going to take of mine and share it with you. When Jesus announced his ministry, these are the words that he chose. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The poor are those who have a need and he has good news for you if there's a need in your life. Release to captives, to prisoners. Is there something in life that's been holding you back, that's been keeping you bound? Then he wants to bring release to you. Recovery of sight to the blind. This is the one with me. There's so many times I've been just totally oblivious to how I affect other people or to how I'm coming across until the Lord just has me step back and hear myself and see how I'm affecting other people. And he helps me to have sight where I was blind. And he'll do the same with you as you follow him to set free those who are oppressed. People who are oppressed are those that have been shoved down, been stomped on, walked all over. He's come to free you from oppression that's keeping you from getting up and moving on to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That was the year of Jubilee. That was the year when all debts were canceled, where people were given a brand new start. That's what he did for us on the cross, isn't it? He made the year of Jubilee something that's available every day. And we remember it this morning as we gather here at the Lord's table. You know, whenever he was there with his disciples at the Last Supper, he took the bread. And before that, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Nobody can take it from me. And let's face it, they couldn't take it from him. And with that being said, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, Peter, given for you. This is my body, Becky, given for you. This is my body, Bill, broken for you. And he gave that whole loaf away. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. He gave away his body, and his life that day. He was looking down through eternity, and he saw you, Heather, and you, Jennifer, and every one of us here. Mr. Allen, he saw you. Every one of you here, Kim, he saw every one of you. And you see, whenever they took him and they nailed his body on the cross, he won. 
They didn't take his life from him that day because he had given it all away. He won. They just helped him to do the thing that he came to do. Do you see that? He wasn't defeated. He won because he gave his very life for each one of us here and each one of us back there. He loved us enough to die for us as we go forth this day. Let's follow the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let's be sure that we live for Him. He loved us enough to die for us. Let's love Him enough to live for Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.